0: Last Sunday morning, you may remember that um, you got a chance to see our wedding pictures. And so, in response to that, and thousands of emails and letters that arrived this week, here is the one and only time you will see Pastor Tom's baby picture. Here it is. And he cute? Thank you. Um, I understand as a football game today. I don't. I don't trust anybody this morning who's sitting in church with an iPod or an iPad. <laughs> There's just no way. That just won't work. I got an email from Monica this week. Monica, do you want to come? She just shared a, um, just a little incident that happened to her this week that kind of grew out of last Sunday morning's sermon for her. I'm going to ask her just take a minute. And do you share with, with the folks what you uh, um, use this one or that one or some other one? There we go. And, um, just take a moment. Share just the, what you share with me in the email. I thought it was just really just thoughtful. Thank you. Okay.
1: Hi, um, this week I went grocery shopping, um, and I was at superstore. And I had to buy some sushi rolling mats because I was making some sushi yesterday. So um, I went by the aisle and I picked up the mats, and the price on there said like 2:39. So I bought it with all my other groceries I got home. And I don't usually look at the receipt, but somehow I was looking at the receipt. The receipt said I only paid 22 cents for each of them. <laughs> so this was Wednesday, and Sunday we just heard this message, You Shall Not Steal. <laughs> so I didn't do it intentionally, um, but uh, I didn't pay the full price exactly. So that that message, Pastor Tom's voice, <laughs> You Shall Not Steal, drinking ringing in my head. And I'm like, well, it's only a dollar. Like, you know, it's not really that much. But then he also talked about How, you know, in the little decisions, those are the things that prepare you for when you have to make bigger decisions. So I knew what I was supposed to do. So the next day I went back to the store and I talked to the clerk and I told her, I think I only paid 22 cents for these. So she rung it up on the thing and she said, oh, I think it's actually, it is 22 cents. They just didn't put the sale price on them." another thing Uh, oh okay (laughs) are you sure It's like yeah it's okay (laughs) so um it it was interesting I felt this kind of freedom in my conscience as I left there and that was my story good thank
0: you thanks very much Monica Appreciate that. Send me that email and said, why don't you come and take a moment and share that with us. May I invite you to stand this morning and I'd like us to pray together. You need to keep your eyes open because the prayer will be on the screen. But it's one that you may know from Psalm 19. Let's say together. Let the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Father, may you impress upon us this morning the importance of our words. The power of the tongue to do good, to stay evil. And may your word touch us this morning. As, and just this little but important way, touch Monica last week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you the story of a family. And tells you what happened to them when lies and deceit run amok in this dysfunctional family. You find the story if you want in Genesis chapter 27, but I'll summarize it for you. Here's the setting, the context. Isaac is married to Rebekah, and they have twin sons who are called Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the mother's favorite, you need to know that. Jacob is also a schemer. You never buy a used camel from Jacob. Too many miles on it. One day, his brother Esau was hungry, and so he sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. Now, you need to know that the birthright is the family blessing. You will become the family priest. One day you will have double share of the inheritance. One day, as a it were, it will all be yours. But right now, Esau has nothing. It's a great story about people who sell their future for instant gratification. Who trade the intangible for the tangible. The invisible for the visible. But they will be hungry again tomorrow. That's a different story, and that's for another time. So what happens is in our story, Isaac's getting old. His eyes are failing. It's time for him to pass on the blessing of the family through him to his eldest son. Esau. To give him the blessing, Isaac tells Jacob to go and prepare some tasty meat. Really, his favorite dish, his favorite dinner. But Rebekah gets involved in the scheme. Remember, Jacob's her favorite. And she tells Jacob, you get in there first. And you get the family blessing. Jacob says to her, that's not going to work. Because Esau is hairy and my skin is smooth. Rebecca says, get some goat skin, put it on, on your arms. The old man's blind, he'll never know. Isaac isn't sure. He hears the voice of Jacob and feels the skin of Esau. He gets the question, are you really Esau, he says. Now, you realize in that moment that Jacob has a moment to tell the truth. To get out of this charade and this pretense and all this lying. But says, Jacob says, I am. So Isaac blesses him. And then Esau returns. And he hears what his brother has done. He's furious. And then Isaac realizes that he is being conned also. He can't believe it. He's beside himself. He's ready to kill him. Can't go back on his word. He says, but your brother came deceitfully. And took the blessing. Rebecca calls called Jacob. Remember, she had some favorites and says, get out of town, because Esau's ready to kill you. And she arranges for him to go, she says, for just a few days to her brother Laban, who's in Haran. And Laban, by the way, is another whole piece of work, another story. And then Jacob meets up with Laban, and, and who's actually trickier, more deceptive than he is. Rebecca says to Jacob, just, just get out of town for a few days. Do you know that that few days actually turned into 20 years? That is the high price of deception. Now, that's the story of a dysfunctional family. And the dysfunction is exaggerated and it is fueled by lying and deceit. It's the story of a family riddled with falsehood. It tells us what happens when one lie is piled upon another and one dishonest statement leads to another. There's exponential growth in deception and cheating. And that sets the stage for us this morning as we think about this word from God. The ninth, ninth word, which is, don't bear false witness. It's the necessity of telling the truth. We all know this. But really, how will we do it? I've tried to present some of the commandments which are written often in a negative form. I've tried to turn them into a positive. God's people don't murder because they believe in the sanctity of life. God's people don't commit adultery because they nurture healthy marriages. God's people don't steal. They live with honesty. And so this morning, God's people don't lie. Rather, they speak the truth. One of the great words of the Christian faith, we sung a little of it this morning, is the word grace. Amazing grace. We want to be touched by grace and we sing about it and we talk about the importance of grace in our lives. We pray for grace to come to our lives and to our church to touch us. We need grace. But we need to recognize that when grace comes into our lives, grace brings a friend. And grace has a companion And her name is truth. John 1.17 says, Grace and truth were realized by Jesus. And Jesus brings grace and truth as they were, hand in hand. They're like Siamese twins. They're mingled together. You cannot live in one without the other. So this morning we want to talk about what does it mean not only to be people of grace, but be people of truth. And we're going to start by saying that God's grace calls us To be truthful with ourselves. Now that may sound strange. Aren't we always honest with ourselves? You know, the answer is no, we're not. One of the most common and dangerous games we can play on ourselves is the game of self-deception. Before we've deceived anyone else, we have deceived ourselves. Before we lie to anyone else, we have lied to ourselves. Here's some of the most basic psychology for our lives, and you'll find it in God's words. Seven tricks of self deception that we play on ourselves. I'm going over them quickly this morning. They're just headings. But you need to bring them into your own life. And I gather them up simply by tracking the number of ways some of the different words for deceiving ourselves are used in the Bible. Here we go. okay? Number one, if we think we won't read what we've shown, we're deceiving ourselves. Galatians says to us, don't be deceived. Or we might say, don't kid yourself. God can't be mocked. A man or woman sows what he reaps. One of the most common acts of self-deception is to think that consequences are not connected to choices. We think we can choose one thing, but not have to accept the consequences that go along with that. We're always free to choose, Something God gives us, but we are never free to choose the consequences that accompany the choices that we make. They are welded together. And if we think otherwise, the scripture says, the wisdom of God says, you know what? We are kidding ourselves. Secondly, if we think that we can hear God's word that's sufficient, we don't need to practice it, we're deceiving ourselves. That is a deadly game of self-deception. James says to us, Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Got it? Don't just listen because you'll deceive yourselves. You have to put it into practice. Spiritual growth does not happen just because you chose to come to church this morning. you got to know that. It's a good step. But that in and of itself does not bring about spiritual growth and change and transformation in our lives. Spiritual growth happens when we take some truth, either that we have known or a new truth in our lives, and we begin to put it to work in us. Our maturity is not defined by what we know. It is defined and determined by what we know, which we translate into what we do. We can deceive ourselves. We can also deceive ourselves if we think that we can just sort of say the right things and worship and then say hard, harsh, unkind things to someone else. Again, the book of James. If anyone considers himself religious and doesn't keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. So we can't say harsh things to each other and then stand up and say that God is holy. We're deceiving ourselves. Another heading: If we think we can give equal billing to God and materialism, that means God and money, at the same time, we're conning ourselves. This is what we'll unpack next Sunday morning in the final commandment which is on not coveting. from the, sermon of the Ma- sorry, the, from the, sermon, the parable of the sword. I'll get it right. Think about it. Parable of the sword. Remember, Jesus talks about the different kinds of the, the seed that's sown amongst different kinds of soil. And he said, sometimes, like seeds sown amongst thorns, people hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, come in and they choke the word and they make it unfruitful. We'll do more with that next Sunday morning. But we're deceiving ourselves. If we can think in our culture and our society, which is plagued with greed, So we can love God and worship God and worship money all at the same time. Or again, another one. If we think that we're Christians, we say we're born again. I'm a member of BCBC or whatever. And yet if we continue in a sinful lifestyle, you know what the scripture says? We're deceiving ourselves. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. The church immersed in a lot of problems, deep, deep problems. He says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. There's the word again. Don't kid yourself. And then it goes on to explain, neither the sexually immoral, idolatrous, adulterers, mere prostitutes, or homosexual offenders, nor thieves, or greedy, or drunkards, or slanderers, or swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. So I can't say I'm a Christian, and then just continue to live in an ungodly kind of fashion. Let me add to that. If we think that we can run around with the wrong crowd, not be influenced by them, You know what? The Bible says, we're kidding ourselves. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, don't be misled. Don't kid yourself. And then Paul says very simply, bad company corrupts good character. When we think about peer pressure, our tendency is to think of that only in the context of young people and young adults. Now, there's obviously some concerns there for young people, young adults, about their friends and their peer pressure. But can I suggest too is that peer pressure is not just an issue for young adults. It's also an, it's an adult issue. It's an, an issue also for seniors. The principle of scripture applies right across our ages and generations. Bad company ruins good character. All of us are influenced in one way or another by the company that they keep. Last one in this set. If we think we've arrived and don't need any more growth or change. You know what? We are deceiving ourselves. It's exactly what the Bible says. First John 1 and 8. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. We're conning ourselves. We're kidding ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Got it? We're deceiving ourselves. So how do we kid ourselves? Remember the story of the prodigal son? Perhaps um, I think the best-known story that Jesus ever tells. A timeless story of a young man who, um, who left home to find freedom and enjoy the good life of wine, women, and song, and sex, drugs, rock and roll. So he heads off to the big city, and pretty soon he's in the gutter, morally and physically. And as he throws up one more time as he finds himself binning for food in some garbage bins. Trying to find maybe some cold pizza in the garbage. Imagine as he lines up outside some downtown church to get a meal on a cold, rainy night. He thinks to himself, So this is the good life I wanted? The person he was lying to the most was really himself. And the turnaround line, I think, in the story of the prodigal son, is that phrase when it says in the Gospel of Luke, he came to himself. The problem was, he realized the problem was not his father, and all the chores that were to be done. The problem was not his obnoxious, self-righteous, goody-two-shoes brother. The problem was he was lying to himself. So you see, when grace enters into our lives, Grace comes arm in- arm with truth, and we need to be honest to ourselves and not try to kill ourselves, not lie to ourselves. Now let's push that one more stage. Grace calls us also to be truthful with one another. We say we're members of the church. We're members of the same body. And so grace calls us to speak the truth to one another. A couple of verses from Ephesians. Instead it says, speaking the truth in love, literally, that says truthing in love. There's no word for speaking. Speaking there. It says when we truth love to one another. Now we can't say that very well in English, but that's literally what it means. When we live out the truth with one another we will and all things grow up into him. Ephesians again says to us, Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For it says, for we are all members of the body. We are all brothers and sisters of the same church. Now that sounds so simple. And yet we have to see in in many of our day-to-day conversations, I think if we'll just stop and think and be honest, we fall short of that. Sometimes our speaking in love falls short of the truth. Sometimes our speaking the truth falls short of love. And we've got to put those things together. Some t- we are called to truthful love. And loving truth. Now that's not always easy. But let me give you this morning again, just in some headings, some very practical, as it were, rungs on a ladder that may help us Bring love and truth together in communication and conversation with one another. Again, these are just headings. You've got to fill in the details. Communication that's loving and truthful does not hide behind excuses. You know, it's so easy to say, well, that wasn't my fault. You know, it was his fault, it was your fault, someone else's fault. wasn't my fault. The foundation of good communication always lies in truth. And truth begins with the reality that we will not hide behind excuses. Very simple. If we've made a mistake, you know what? We need to own up to that. And we need to accept responsibility for our own actions and decisions. That's where honesty begins. With ourselves, it's my fault. Again, adding to that, communication that is loving and truthful does not set traps for people. We can, you know, we can engage with people in the way that sets traps for them. Sometimes our phrase is, you know, we set them up. And when they fall into our trap, you know what our attitude is? Gotcha. I gotcha. Or we dig holes for them. Or we stab them in the back. Truthful, love, communications, loving and truthful, was, doesn't do that. Once again, the, the scriptures are so instructive to us. You remember in one of the conversations that Jesus had with the Pharisees, Mark 10. So it said, some Pharisees came and they tested him by saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce a wife? I won't give you all the story behind that question. But that question, frankly, is a setup. Because if Jesus went one way, they would get him. If he went the other way, they would get him. It's a trick question. First, John says to us, Whoever loves his brother, can I add sister? Lives in the light. And there's, there's nothing in him to make him stumble. The, the key word in that verse, the little part of that verse, is the word stumble. It is the Greek word scandalon, from which we obviously get our English word scandal. But that's not what a scandalon is. A scandalon was the part of the trap when you were trying to trap an animal. So that you could have supper that night. The scandalon was the part of the trap where you put the bait. And so when it came along and tried to get the bait, that's what sprung the trap. It's the trigger that springs the trap. And John is saying to us, when we deal with one another in conversation and communication, that has to be clean and honest. You know what? We don't set traps for one another. And then at the end of it, say, gotcha. Communication is gracious and truthful, does not set traps for people. Rather, it nurtures health. It allows even healthy disagreement. It also means communication is loving and truthful, doesn't give mixed messages. You know, Jesus said simply, Our yes needs to be yes, our no needs to be no. But sometimes our yes means no. Sometimes our no means yes, or maybe. We say one thing, and often our entire body language tell something exactly very very different to that when um, our children were younger and they were small they used to maybe we were in a car and we'd be heading home and the kids would say to me Daddy can we stop at McDonald's on the way home please 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 please?" I often answered them saying we'll see they told me once when I said we'll see they said Dad you know what that means? They figured it out, and I hadn't figured it out. They said, when you say, we'll see, that means I haven't decided yet, but when I decide to tell you, the answer will be no. (laughs) You know what? They were way ahead of me. Because that's exactly what it meant when I thought about it. We'll see means the answer is going to be no, but I haven't told you that yet. We need very simply to say what we mean. and mean, what we say, that sounds simple. Can I tell you that's not? Sometimes we say, I don't care, when we really do care. Can you imagine a husband and wife? Well, let's turn it into um, something that might help you to see that a little bit. Cindy's do want to come? Pastor Cindy? She's going to be my wife for about 25 seconds. Which is probably about just a minute here. Let me open the car door oh, for you. Thank you. There you go. Always good manners. <laughs> thank you. Good. So, honey, here we are. we got our brand-new car. And we're off to Texas to see you folks. Isn't that exciting? Oh, oh so down excited. the road, on the road. We'll stop, make some stops along the way, but this is great. Man, what a lovely car this is. You know, honey, what I wish Texas had was a Tim Hortons. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Oh, that
2: would be marvelous. There's no Timmy's here in Texas.
1: But you know what I see? The Golden Arches over there. Wow, the Golden
0: Arches. Would you like to stop and get a cup of coffee? No, thanks. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Nothing. Boy, it's sure getting cold in this car. I'm going to turn the heat up. You can open the door for yourself. So when she says, would you like to stop for a cup of coffee? What is she really saying? I would like to stop for a cup of coffee. And the issue is very simple. Then why can't we say that? Why is it so hard for us to say what we would really like to do? with one another. Happens in marriage, happens in churches, happens in families, all kinds of places. Thank you. Cindy's a good sport. Communication is loving and truthful, it's based on honesty. Dishonesty is not only altering the facts, sometimes with exaggeration, distortion, misrepresentation, Dishonesty is also failing to say what needs to be said at the time. When we hide behind the mask of dishonesty, we are preventing the flow of healing truths. When our lives are touched by grace and we realize we have nothing to lose, they're touched by truth, we have nothing to hide. It means that communication is honest and truthful deals with issues promptly. It doesn't let them build up. I've shared this truth with you, I think, before, but here it goes again. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And what you need to know is that the, the second word for anger there towards the end of the verse, don't let the sun go down on your anger, is the same word... For anger is the beginning. It's got a prefix in front of it that intensifies it and makes it stronger. It's actually our English word orgy from which we we get the word orgy. And what it means is if something happens at the beginning of a day or week and we don't deal with that but we stew on it and we feel it as the day goes on as the days go on our anger intensifies and it builds up a head of steam. It's teaching us something all of us know. When we let anger build up Over days and weeks and months and sometimes in families and friendships for years. When we leave things unaddressed and not dealt with. Anger builds up. Anger grows. Anger just gets bigger. The answer is to deal with things promptly. Communication is loving, truthful. We'll deal with things when they're in their infancy. It means also that we will address the issue directly with the person involved. Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, don't show me his fault. Just between the two of you. When we get drawn into triangles, in other words, a third party gets involved. We are involving people in the conversation on the problem who are neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. It is guaranteed that issues will go off the rails. And any hope of good communication is marked with honesty and love goes out the window. Probably in all of our years we've been in church, we have seen the difficulty that it comes when people get involved in triangles and they go and talk to someone else about so and so over here. Can I say there was a list let's just not do that. Let's just make an agreement. We will not do that. We need to go and meet with each other. And communication is loving and skillful, loving and truthful. You know what? It requires good listening skills. Most of the time, many of us are not listening at all. We're just waiting in our turn to talk. Some of us don't even wait. You ever been introduced to someone, and a few seconds later you can't remember their name? It happens to me a lot. But communication as bathed in love and truth requires exceptional listening, not just to the words, but to the emotion. Our heart, my heart, needs to listen to your heart. So what will it mean for you this week? To practice good communication. And that means for us communication that is full of grace and truth. Think of a conversation maybe you had this past week in which one of those communication skills was broken. Or you just lied to yourself. Now think ahead to next week. How can you do better to tell the truth? You know, the satire of this command, Don't Lie, the paradox of this challenge, Not to give false witness, but to do the hard work of good, truthful communication. Is that we are called and summoned to live lives that are truthful by someone who was tried and sentenced on the testimony of false witnesses. Jesus was condemned by false accusations. I think that's the irony of this story. But in his own heart... Jesus was open and transparent before everyone and everything. And when we look into the life of Jesus, we find grace and truth gently and delicately intertwined, like dense partners that cannot be separated. And that calls us to be a people who live out of a deep well of truthful grace and gracious truth. So may I invite you to stand again? We finish the message. As we started it, the prayer out of Psalm 19. Let's pray together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.